And something just set off in my heart how a lot of times we say, I hope. And sometimes hope may not be a good word. I hope for it. The, the word, Christ in you, the hope of glory in your Bible, the, the word there, the type of hope that word is expressing, isn't a hope like, I hope it happens. It's an expectation. It actually means expectation. I expect it. There's an expectation of, of Him. And, and in our hearts, there should be always that expectation of God. There should be an expectation of the Lord in our lives. In, in whatever measure of Christ we find ourselves walking in, there should be an expectation of Him. Our days should be filled with an expectation of the Lord. That when we wake in the morning, there should be an expectation of the Lord. We should set our hearts, set our affections. I was sharing with someone, I said, set your affections. Just like Paul, Paul said, set your affections, your heart, your mind, set them on things above. Now, now, like I, like I said a lot of times, He did the work. So grace, truth, mercy, righteousness, peace, all of that's in Him. But why do we, who are in Him, many times not walk in all these things that are in Him? It's setting our heart toward to expect the reality of peace. Set our heart. These are, you know, we look at things like the promises of God. We make comments like, if we have faith believing, God will do this. Well, what will God do if we have faith believing? He will make real everything that's in Christ. That's what He'll do. He'll make real in our lives everything that's in Christ, in our hearts, in our minds. So, if peace is real in Christ, He'll make it real. If I set my heart toward Him, if I set my heart toward Him, He'll make righteousness real. If I set my heart toward Him, He'll make holiness real. Because all of that is defined in Christ. I can't have holiness without Him. I can't even understand what it is without Him. That's why there's ideas of what righteousness is, of what holiness is, of what faith is. There's all kinds of ideas. of, of You can take anything in the Bible. It's like grace. I, I've, I've been doing a study. Outside of the study of the book of Revelation, I've also been in a study of, of grace. And in, in the study of grace, I've been looking at the word grace and and some people define it as unmerited favor. And Strong defines it as the divine intention upon the heart and the reflection that comes from that. So, 
when you look at that, you say these words, I could say it's divine favor. I could say you have divine favor. What does that do for you? You have favor. We all go run around and shout, I have favor. But what does it do for you? What does it do for me? I don't know. Ask a question. Probably not a whole lot. Unless I see the favor in Christ. That God's favor toward us is in Christ. Now, now if I, if I hear by the Spirit, now in Christ Jesus, ye that were far away are made nigh, now then I'm coming to the divine favor. See? See, I was far away, but now I'm made what? Nigh. And now I'm in divine favor because I find it in Christ Jesus. That's where I find it. So if I read it in the Bible and I don't find it in Him, it's pretty hollow. And that's where we walk a lot of times is in a hollowness. Because it has to be defined. Everything in the Bible has to be defined in the person of Christ. See, see, He says something. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that word truth is a big word. I'm the truth. So, so if I understand truth at all, I have to understand truth in Him. I don't understand truth. It, 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 what, what, I, what I say may have no substance. And if what I say has no substance, I don't need to speak. I don't. I go sit down. Because substance is what your heart is longing for. Substance. Why, that's why a man, natural man, that's why a natural man commits suicide. Because he can't find substance. Really is. It's why, it's why crazy things happen. Because there's no substance. Substance is what the void that's, that's inside of you He's after substance. That's why religion won't get it done. That's why people go to church, get, get, many of them get born again, and they'll quit going to church. They'll just quit. You'll find unchurched people that have known the Lord because they're lacking substance. Because eventually, even coming to church won't get it done. It'll, 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 there'll be a place where you come to where I went to church and I'm still lacking substance. And substance is found in Him. So if I don't define my relationship with God with Christ, 
I don't really have a relationship with God. I really don't. So, so that's, that's what we teach. We teach Him. That's why I've been in the book of Revelation in chapter 1 for almost a year. And I'm looking at Him. That hit me. That I'm looking at the description of Jesus Christ. That, that hit me, Sheila. You know, I, I tell you, Revelation gives you a, a clue of what it's about. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ, right? So it gives you a clue, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then it's something when you get into chapter 1, and the Apostle John sees him in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, and he gives a description of him. And you get inside of that description, and it can exhaust your life. Natural days, maybe a better way of saying it. It could exhaust your natural days in just understanding the description of Him. Your natural days in eternity. It could. Probably will. So, so we get caught up with knowing Him. Is that something you get in the book of Revelation of Jesus Christ? And John tells you that he sees him, Jesus Christ, one like the Son of Man in the midst of the seven gold candlesticks, and like I said, kind of the beginning of it, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then John seeing who in the candlesticks? Jesus Christ. And I asked someone yesterday, I said, what's a revelation? What does it mean for something to be revealed? And they said, to see it. That's something. To be made known. To be seen. So, when you come into the description of Christ, and we've been in the description of Christ for... Weeps. And it says he has eyes as a flame of fire and hair white as wool. Does that mean that the Jesus in the pictures are, is the wrong picture of Jesus? Does it? Because the pictures of Jesus doesn't have hair white as wool and it doesn't have eyes as a flame of fire, does it? Not the ones I've seen. Once I've seen had a brown haired man with a long robe wearing sandals. But John sees one with hair white as wool and eyes as a flame of fire. So so does that mean he has hair about the color of Shirley's? Is that what John is saying? And then if it is when you see him, you're going to be like him. You're going to have hair white as wool. I'm kidding a little bit. If you don't have hair, you're going to grow it then. 
Because you're going to be like him. Now, I'm kidding with you. But I'm being serious too. Think about it. You know, people are looking to understand what Jesus looks like. And John describes Him as hair white as wool. And John also is the one that wrote, when you see Him, you will be like Him. So, so just, I was going to say maybe, but that ain't even that ain't right. He's not talking, I don't believe, of hair, of natural hair. He's speaking of the wisdom, the mind, and what the head of hair is speaking of. In the book of Proverbs, and I got carried away this morning. I looked at this last week, and, and a lot of this comes from last week's notes because I really didn't get too much into it last week. But in the book, book of Proverbs chapter 20, verses 27 through 30, it says... The spirit of man is the lamp of Jehovah, searching all his innermost parts. Kindness and truth preserve the king, and his throne is upholden by kindness. The glory of young men is their strength, and the beauty of old men is the hoary head. Anybody wonder what hoary head means? White hair. Silver hair. Has some other meanings to it, but but it's but you you know the hoary head stripes that wound cleanse away evil and strokes reach the innermost parts, and of course that's speaking of him. So so the beauty of all men is the hoary head. And I'll read it out of a different translation. The International Standard Version, let me find it here, in Proverbs 20, says, The glory of young men is their strength, and the splendor of elders is their gray hair. So, so we have the splendor, and this, this word splendor is kind of hitting the mark here. I looked it up this morning. I looked up this word beauty. That beauty of the old man, or the beauty of the old man, the splendor of him. And I got carried away in the splendor. In 1 Chronicles 16 and 15, the Scripture reads, I've written down the wrong word, so I may have to move on. But what I was looking for was dealing with His splendor, His majesty. So I've written down the wrong chapter. I have written down 1615, and I'm in the wrong place here, so we're going to just move on to Psalms. I apologize for that. But Psalms 45, 3 and 4. Just move on, and I'll try to find that in Chronicles that I had um, 
looked at it, maybe simply Second Chronicles 16, but I'm not sure, so I won't get no get too tied up with that. But in Psalms, it says, "What does your Bible say in the Book of Psalms?" It says a lot. Forty-five, three, and four. says, strap your sword to your side, mighty warrior, along with your honor and majesty. In your majesty, ride forth for the cause of truth, humility, and righteousness. And your strong right hand will teach you awesome things. So here we, we start getting a picture of majesty. And this, this word majesty here is the same word that's translated beauty in Proverbs. So His majesty is His, in the book of Revelation, He had hair white as wool, and Proverbs says that the old man's gray hair, or the elder man's gray hair, is His majesty. So when we start looking at the majesty of the Lord, and that's what I got carried away with this morning in uh, Psalms 96 and 6. Just going to go through these Psalms here, a few of them, and we'll, we'll get on down through here. But, I, but I, I pray that what I saw this morning, you all see. For verse 5 says, back up verse 4, For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is awesome above all gods. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols. Man, that's powerful. All the gods of the people are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Might and beauty are in His sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, you families of people. Ascribe to the Lord. Glory and strength. Now that was the International Standard Version. In Psalms, I believe 104, is that the next one, Bob? 104, 1 and 2. It says, Bless the Lord, my soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord, my God. Thou art very great. Thou art clothed with honor and majesty. Who covers thyself with light as with a garment? Who stretches out the heavens like a curtain? Who covers himself with light? So when you come into His presence, when you become aware of His presence, you can't help but to see light. Glory to God. Psalms 110. Psalms 110 says, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstools. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power, in the beauty of holiness from the womb of the morning. Thou hast the dew of thy youth. 
The Lord has sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord at thy right hand shall strike through kings in the day of His wrath. He shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall wound the heads of many countries. So the Lord is mighty. The Lord is powerful. The Lord is full of splendor. The Lord is victorious. This is what what all of this is dealing with in His hair white as wool. He's full of majesty. And, and what I was hearing in the Spirit as I was sitting before the Lord this morning, I was hearing in these Psalms as, as I was reading them and, and, and the place in Chronicles that I, that I lost, uh, how that the writer was saying, extol the Lord, exalt the Lord. All you people of the Lord. Exalt Him. How do you exalt Him? How do I exalt God? Tell of His fame. Speak of Him. Declare Him. Declare what did He reign victorious over? See, what has he reigned victorious over? He's reigned. Who did you say death, Calvin? Was it you? Death, hell, the grave, sin. See, see, when the writers back here wrote these psalms, David and and and, and the different writers, and you know, and the folks that wrote Chronicles and and Moses who wrote the first few books of the Bible, they were seeing God's work in that natural land of Israel, and they were exalting Him because of how great He was. You know, there, there was the one, uh, one instance where, what was it, uh, the song of, uh, I think, Miriam, where, where the horse and the rider He hath cast in the sea. He had, he had led the song about Him leading the children of Israel out of captivity and the Egyptian army being overthrown, and the Lord being the wonder of the earth. Glory to God. Now, now that's not our song. We have a greater song. See, all that that song spoke of, Christ fulfilled. See, when I go back there and read these stories, I see Jesus. I go back and read of, of, of the children of Israel being caught up in Egypt. And God coming down and bringing them out of Egypt and into the land of promise. And that's what He says in the book of Exodus. He said, I have to come down to bring them up and out her, into the land of promise. And I, and I see Jesus when I read that in the book of Exodus, I hear by the Spirit of God that He being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made Himself of no reputation and took upon Him the form of a servant made in the likeness of man. That He come in the likeness of man and He took us out of Egypt. Bondage. Slavery, burdens, 
That's what I hear there. I don't just hear that story. I don't just hear a story about the children of Israel. I I look in there and and I believe wholeheartedly that happened. Absolutely happened. God did exactly what the Word says He did there. But I hear by the Spirit of God that was even speaking of the cross and what Christ was going to do on Calvary thousands of years later. That by divers' ways and, 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 and uh, different methods, God spoke by the prophets, but He fulfilled all of His speaking of all that time in Christ. He gathered it all up in Him. And when we see that, so when I stole the Lord, when I come and extol Him, when I come and set Him up high, I'm telling the Lord, Lord, You've brought me out of the darkness. You've brought me out of the bondage. And You've brought me into Your marvelous light. Glory to God. I'm speaking to Him of what He's done. That's how I stole the Lord. Not just coming to Him and... And, 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 and this is good to do. Thank you for my bank account, or thank you for this. This is all good to do. But, but there's, a, there's a greater area of substance. I was lost. You know, as simple as that is, I was lost, but you found me. I was dead, and you killed me. The cross, the impact of the cross, when, I, when, I'm, when I'm exalting the Lord, is the impact of the cross in my heart, is it even in my mind, of what He accomplished at Calvary. He that is dead is freed from sin. Is that in my mind? Is that in my heart? Is that in my thought? He that is dead is freed from sin. Do I take that before the Lord and thank You? Father, You crucified me with Christ. You brought me to death that I could be free from sin. That his penalty has no charge over me. You do. You have charge over me, Father. You have authority over me, Lord. I mean, I, I just heard that this morning. I heard this great exaltation of the Lord. As I was looking at him it, with hair wise one, you're like, how do you get all that out of that, Brother Wayne? I'm just sitting before the Lord. I'm just listening. Maybe I need to share that with you. I still a lot of times I just listen. Sit time begin to hear. And if you sit and you listen, what'll happen is God will begin to speak. And you'll begin to hear His voice. And He'll begin to speak in His Word. And He'll begin to reveal. And He'll begin to show. 
And it, and it just, just was leaping up inside of me of how, how Daniel saw one like the Son of Man and he come to the Ancient of Days. And in Daniel's seeing of the Ancient of Days, the Ancient of Days looks like the Son of Man in the seven gold candlesticks. So, so Daniel says, one come to the Ancient of Days and was presented to him. And God gave him dominion, power, and glory. And here in the book of Revelation, he, his hair is white as wool, like the Ancient of Days. Now explain that to me. Go read Daniel. And then read Revelation and explain how he came. Because he gave him a name. He gave him a name that was above every other name. He gave him dominion and a kingdom that shall never end. Flip over to Hebrews 1. Hebrews 1. Verse 8. But unto the Son, He saith, exalts Him to the very throne of God. Thy throne, O God, is a, is for ever and ever a scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. You've purchased righteousness, O God. You've brought forth righteousness, O Lord. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, have anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning has laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. Jump back to Isaiah 9. Isaiah 9. Isaiah chapter 9 says, verse 6. This Scripture is very personal with me because God dealt with me very personally in this Scripture. So it gets very personal with me. But it says, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. So, so what's the government? If you have a government, what's government? The rule. So the law, the dominion, is on His shoulders. And His name shall be called Wonderful, 
Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David, upon His kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth and forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Of the increase of His government. What did Jesus say when He rose from the dead? He said, All power is given unto Me in heaven and on earth. Now, like Christians, probably believe He has all power in heaven. But He doesn't have the power on earth. Because they look out at the earth and they say, well, He's got all power. What's all this mess? I looked in the wrong place. See, the place of change in the earth you want to know where the change is at in the earth? It's sitting in the room. It's all across the earth. It's called the body of Christ that is filled with His fullness. But as long as the body of Christ doesn't think it's filled with His fullness, it's not going to impact much. As a man thinketh, so he is. So if I don't Think if I don't understand. So, so think and logic and understanding all go together, right? So if I start talking about thinking, and when, I, when I'm looking at the head of Christ, the hair white as wool, I come to His mind, His thinking, His wisdom, right? So if I, if in my logic is a old man, a sinner saved by grace, not a new creation, then the impact that I may bring to the earth may be small. Because what I speak of is small. Think about it with me for a moment. Much of what's, what's, what's taught around Christian circles is simply you get a little bit of God, a little bit of Jesus, and someday you'll get it all. Someday it'll all happen. But the apostle writes, of His fullness have we received and grace for grace. But I don't feel like i got His fullness. I don't feel like I've received of His fullness. I don't even understand what that means. I can say that. And that's a good place to start. That's a good place to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I read this. The church is His body. The fullness of Him doesn't say it's it's just a a piece of Him that He gets us all to heaven. It doesn't say that. It says the church is His body. The fullness of Him that fills all in all. Is that what the Scripture says? Yes. But it, but a good place to start with the Lord said, Lord, I don't feel that way. Because he's, he's feeling all in all. And the reason I don't feel that way is because I haven't been 
filled. <laughs> what do I mean? I just said it's full of Him, but I need to be filled with what I'm full of in understanding. I need Him measured out. I need to hear of Him. Glory to God. So that as I think, so I will be. And if I begin to understand I'm a member of the body of Christ, so I will be. 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 I will be. I will exhibit as a member of the body of Christ. If I think I be the old man who just got his sins forgiven, I will act like the old man that really doesn't yet have victory. Do you, you realize how serious this is? Christians don't think they have victory yet. Someday they're going to get victory over the devil. Someday they're going to get victory over death. And what Jesus said. He said, hey, I am he that liveth and was dead. So he, he said, I'm, I'm he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am what? Alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and hell. That's what he says. I'm he that liveth. And, and, and flip, flip, flip back to John 14 with this thought. Him saying, I am he that liveth. I think Waverly back there is smiling and saying, Brother Wayne, since we didn't sing, you got two hours today. I'm kidding. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Verse 19. John 14, verse 19, he says, Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But you see me. Alright. Just stop there for a minute. How in the world is that going to work? It gives you the answer. But the part I want to get to, and we'll get an answer in a second, but because I live, you shall live also. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Because I live, you shall live also. But where do you live at? See, that's the, that's the issue of, of everybody on the earth is living and dying. And most of us look at living and dying as as breathing oxygen into our lungs. Apostle Paul said, when Christ, who is our life, 
shall appear, then we shall appear with Him in glory. So our life isn't dependent upon oxygen. So whether we're in the body or our bodies perish, He's our life. See, when I got born again, what happened to me is a whole nother life got inside. And the life that got inside of me is never going to die. Because the life that got in me was this one that said, I am he that died, and I'm alive forevermore. So when you got born again, that's that's what just that's the transaction that took place. The life that you now have, John the Apostle John writes and says, you pass from death unto life. That didn't mean you have passed out of natural death, out of natural bodies. He put he summed up death in the Adam man. And he summed up life in Christ. And that's what Christians don't understand. Life is Christ. He is your life. You, when you're born again, you're born of His seed. Glory to God. That the very divine nature of God that was in Christ is now in you. To bring forth what He is. Not what you were, what He is. And when you begin to glimpse that, you you even say, Lord, I don't even like what I was. I saw it. And it was no good. I'm all about You. That's what happens. That's the tra- it, it, it really happens. I, I can remember. I'm just going to relate some things and maybe I need to start doing a little more of what I'm going to do. I'm going to relate some to you. This thing started working at me. Death. Not for a day. Or a week. Or a month. Let's say years. There had God worked at you for years. And there was something in me, even though I read in the Scripture, you're dead. There was something in me that said, well, I don't want to be dead. Now, I'm just being, bearing my soul to you. Well, I begin to see the glory of the death. I begin to hear by the Spirit... And I've said it a lot here here lately because God has like pronounced it, has spoken it in me of magnitude. Greater than I've ever heard or seen. He that is dead from sin, dead to sin, is freed from sin. Now, I want to be careful here. Doesn't mean I never commit any bad acts anymore. 
Now, in the fullness of that statement, I believe it covers that too. Okay? But it's a process. But in seeing you're dead to sin, I begin to see that sins do not have dominion over me. And if I could take that and give it to Christians, because I watch Christians wallow in the mire of sins. I watch them frustrated that over and over again, God, I, I did this, or God, I did that. And I see it in their, see it by the Spirit. I, I see something so beautiful that has no victory over your life. He's your life. Has zero victory. Because He has the authority. Sin doesn't have authority over you anymore. Why? Because He died to sin. He died to it. He took sin upon Himself. Sin, not sins, sin. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. The sin being the whole old man, Adam. He took sin on Himself. And He took it to the tree. And He crucified it. And He destroyed what Paul said, principalities and powers. Guess what those were? They were the sins of the old man. They were the conscience of Adam. You're talking about principality and power, the conscience of the old man that says, I can never please God. Jesus took that old man and crucified him. Glory. Put him in a tomb and buried him and was raised up in newness of life. That's your salvation. He had no sin in Himself. His nature wasn't your nature, but He took on Him the Adam Man never succumbed to the nature of it. You know, there are some people that question that. Honey, He never did. He was the Word of God. John says, in the beginning was the Word of God. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. And the Word was made flesh. That's what John said was made flesh. The Word of God. Who was God? And Philippians says He was made flesh for a reason. To die the death of the cross. Because mankind couldn't die the death of the cross. But He couldn't do it. See, He could die on crosses because right beside Jesus was two 
other men that were on crosses, but they did not die the death of the cross. Because cursed is he that hangeth on a tree. Because he was able to take the curse upon himself and never succumb to it. You know, we, we read these things and we, we, uh, they, they escape us. He said, I always do that that pleases my Father. I never succumb to the earth. I've never done the will of Adam. I've never, never disobeyed. I always do that that pleases my Father. Did Jesus say that? So He took humanity. He took my curse. He took me... My my will power and he crucified. That's the freedom. He crucified me and you and birthed us anew. And in the new birth wasn't the old man made better. Because you're born again, not of corruptible seed. You're born of Him. Amen. Amen. Brother Jim Wickens read yesterday, and I can't off the top of my head remember exactly where it's at in the book of First John, but he read yesterday, Ye are of God. Little children. Something like that. In 1 John, John says, you are of God. How many Christians get up and say, I'm of God? Almost none. They identify still with, I'm of Adam. <laughs> you ever saw that, Sister Cheryl? Where's that at, Brother Bob? Find that in 1 John. Ye are of God. You are born from above. What if, what if I got up and said to the Lord, Lord, thank You for being born of You. What if I did that? What, what if that became my prayer? Like, Father, I thank You that I've been born of Your Spirit. I thank You that I've been filled with Your substance. I thank You that I house Your glory. I thank You that You poured Your glory into my soul. I thank You, Father, that You've given me the mind of Christ that I might know You. I thank You, Father, that I've been made one with You. I thank You, Father, that this salvation is greater than anything my mind could have imagined. I thank You, Father, that I can walk in newness of life. My God, I thank You for what You've done. I thank You for who You are, that You're revealing Your Son in me, Yourself in me. You're showing me what You are, Father. You're not, you're not just teaching me rules on rocks, but You're showing me who You are to transform me, to make me a new man. And the new man isn't made of my substance. It's made of me. Amen. 
Where is that at, Bob? It's in First John four and four. First John four and four, and I guess we'll stop here. Now, this is all in the hair white as wool because you're coming into the wisdom and the mind of God. What He desired. First John, what's that, Calvin? Four and four. He says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. I can jump up and down for this next part. Because greater is He. And we, and we quote this part. In fact, we sing it. One of my favorite groups sings it. Greater is He that is in me than He that is in the world. But the part, the part up above it says, Ye are of God. But you can say, well, that's right. And have overcome them because greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Sometimes we wonder why they can't hear what we say. John says, He that is not of God heareth not us. Amen. Now, I ain't saying everybody that doesn't understand what you understand isn't of God. I ain't saying that because Paul told, told Christians, you are carnal. You're walking as men. In other words, in your understanding, you're walking still yet as the Adam man. You're carnal. But when we've been circumcised in the heart, we're not going to walk as men anymore. Amen. Well, Amen. a lot of to chew on. Amen. A lot to chew on. And that vision of the Son of Man is a lot to chew on. And I, I believe it's going to get real exciting as we get into out of His mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword. We, we touched on, and I'm done this morning, we touched on some of that some time ago when we were doing the study in Matthew 24. And I believe we're going to see the transition of the Word of God, how it transitioned from the Old Covenant to the new covenant. And that sword cuts off. It's a sharp to its sword. So that sword of Christ cuts off in our understanding that old. Divide, divides asunder soul and spirit. It cuts off that, that old understanding. That we come to God by that old understanding cuts it off and brings us into His, into the glorious liberty of the sons of God. So I think that's coming. We'll see if we do one more on hair white as wool, or we jump right into that. We'll see next week.